Welcome to I Am Ann Arbor, podcast about the people and stories of Ann Arbor, Michigan. This week, we have the queen of downtown, Susan Polly, on the podcast. And it was a really awesome conversation. There's very few people that know as much about Ann Arbor and specifically the downtown as Susan does. And uh, we didn't get to talk about it on the podcast, but shortly after we recorded, there was a mural dedication to Susan in the um, library lot parking structure off of Fifth Street. And I highly encourage anyone to go in and check out the mural uh, painted by the amazing David Zinn, who I'm hoping will be on a future podcast. And it's named the long-awaited reemergence of Pecans McGrew. And you really can't miss it once you go down one level uh, in the library lot parking structure under underground. But before we get to that, uh, just a shout out to our sponsors, Old Hat Creative and Underground Printing. And for, for many of you, you know, this is our 20th anniversary at Underground Printing. So check us out at undergroundshirts.com. And now, Susan Polly. Here with my friend Susan Polley, the longtime, now retired uh, executive director of the Downtown Development Authority or the DDA or the shadow government, as it's sometimes uh, affectionately known as. Yeah. Um, and uh, when I think of Ann Arbor, so like, you know, the title of my podcast is I Am Ann Arbor, but um, actually I am not Ann Arbor, Susan, you are Ann Arbor. So if I'm, <laughs> if I'm going to think Woo! of anyone who is Ann Arbor, it is you. You've, you've lived and breathed Ann Arbor for so many years. And, you know, my first, you know, meeting of you was not being on the DDA, but was um, actually giving me some information on alley parking when I lived downtown. So, yeah. you know, yeah. even then you're a resource to, to those that, you know, have no connection to the DDA or, or to the city. But uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, you're not Ann Arbor born and bred. I know that. So tell us a little no. bit about your background and, and how you came to Ann Arbor. So like a lot of your listeners, I am an adopted Ann Arborite. I came here to go to graduate school and never went back. Uh, to my yeah. original home. When I got to Ann Arbor, it was to study communication. I had been working as a media buyer in San Francisco at the Cannery Building, overlooking the Golden Gate Bridge with Ghirardelli Square out my front door. And I was actually sure that paradise could not be any more beautiful than I was seeing and thought, I am too young to be experiencing paradise. I need to experience more of life, in particular seasons. So I chose to go to graduate school at uh, U of M. Uh, when I got here, I was not enamored of the program. In fact, it wasn't uh, what I thought it was really going to be. But this is back before Internet. So you had to go on what you could read up in books. Yeah. But what was bewitching to me was my first summer uh, mid-graduate mid program. The art fairs took place. Mm -hmm. And it's hard for some of your listeners to understand just how bizarre it was at that time. This is now the early 80s. To have a city shut down the core area so that artwork could be displayed on the street. This was such a novel idea. And I was so bewitched by the craziness of this city. I said, would you, I got Would you I say that around. there were like now, I think, you know, or at least 
pre-pandemic, you know, there yeah. were, there's an art fair tour. I mean, there are tours around the country. Would you say yeah. at that time it was, it were, there, that didn't exist? There was- Did not really exist. There wasn't much of a business model, I think, for the artists. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ann Arbor was such a lucrative market because there were almost no other art fairs. Yeah. So they would come here and make their fortune. They didn't really need to do the tour. Uh, what now we experience is there's one in every city. At that time, we had big buses showing up, driving people from Chicago and you know from all sorts of points, east, north, south, come to Ann Arbor because there were no other art fairs. And uh, the model for the artists made more sense because there was so little else going on elsewhere. Uh, there were also uh, three fairs, not four. We didn't have a thousand artists, but we still took over the streets of Ann Arbor with that fair, which again was such a crazy idea. I am at heart, I think, uh, uh, I love chaos. And the idea of utter chaos for four days in the middle of July bewitched me. So this is this was when I made the decision to move here. Well, and so, so you literally are saying you, the art fair is the reason you decided to stay in it. It, it said to me that this is the kind of crazy place where this could happen. And you remember, I'm from California. I, what I didn't say about uh, going to work in the Cannery Building and overlooking Golden Gate Bridge was even then I could not afford the kind of life that it sort of says so much, but I really couldn't do much. In Ann Arbor, I could do all sorts of crazy great things. And here was an example. Art was free for me to see. I, you know, gallery quality art in the middle of the street. I could, as a graduate student, you know, enjoy the beauty of it. And at that point, there was so much spontaneity to the art fair too. We hadn't managed it out of existence. You know, buskers on every corner. You know, at this point, we don't allow that. But at that point, pretty much anything went. You know, Harvey was doing naked photos every year uh, during art fair. He'd have an array of people who are willing to take their clothes off. And whether it was on top of the State Theater marquee or walking down the sidewalk on Liberty in the middle of art fair, there was Harvey doing, you know, naked photos. It was total, it was total insanity. And I loved every minute I ate it up with a spoon. That was for me. That's what I wanted. That's great. And so, you know, so you decided to stay, but, you know, you didn't just jump right into the DDA, I assume. What what was your kind of progression? So graduate program, again, not really satisfying, but down the hall was the theater program. This is the old Freeze building. And through connections, I got an internship at the Kennedy Center in D.C. for about six months in a, a children's theater program. And I came back and finished my degree. And my first job was working with Jim Moran and David Bernstein from the Performance Network, the original network down at the uh, 408 West Washington building. And David, I had a grant that I was being paid for to uh, market the uh, Performance Network with Jim. He paid me to oversee the process of subdividing that old tech center into artist studios. And so an artist would say, I'd like 10 feet by 12 feet. And that's what I'd like to pay for. And what I did was coordinate the rental of that space and the build out of their artist studios. But then I also had sort of a central place that their mail could be picked up once a month. I had open houses. People could come in and see people at work, you know, doing the artwork that they were were doing. So for a moment in time, there really was almost a collective feeling uh, that, you know, Jim was trying to trying to create uh, through the the tech center. Um, 
it was a great year and a not so great year. Uh, every check bounced that I was paid with. <laughs> and in fact, that grant from the MCACA never actually landed in my pocket. It was used to pay the light bill, I think, oh my net gosh. network. But, you know, it was working in the arts and that led to a succession of jobs in the arts in Ann Arbor. And it was it was then and is now very rich with cultural organizations. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, one of the jobs along the way was I worked with uh, uh, the Marcel Marceau World Center for Mime, and that's a whole story in itself. Uh, <laughs> actually, a mime center in Ann Arbor existed for a minute at the Domino Farms building. And so Tom Monahan and a mime I center. wish I could take a poll right now of like how many people knew Marcel Marceau. I don't even know that I would even understand that reference other than maybe some like Perfect. gag jokes on The Simpsons or something like that. When I Absolutely. Look up and point. make it even more interesting. At the time, Domino's had a themed ad program called the Noid, as in I'm annoyed my pizza's late. Yeah. The Noid was the cartoon character and they were exploring the idea of Marcel doing ads for Domino's. But oh, his wow. mime included fighting the wind and pulling a rope and all that, but they had the Noid, you know, he's like pretending he's bringing a pizza. And it's hard to, to describe because it was a moment in time, but for six months, I helped to uh, uh, market and coordinate a mine camp one summer. So it was a, a moment in time that I'm very proud of, but it, it was not a, a thing you could explain easily. But that led to working at the Summer Festival because it was many of the same people. Gene Power had very generously uh, donated to the university money for the Power Center. He wanted to see it used during the summer. That led to the Summer Festival. I was able to get a job through those connections to market uh, the festival. And that led to me becoming the boss at the, at the festival. My boss, Alan Brown, who's just a genius, left uh, before one of, the, one of the seasons. And so I foolishly or correctly, as it turned out, raised my hand to be interim. And then from interim, I uh, became the director at the summer festival. So I and so and so had top of the park, was top of the park a thing yet? Okay, that was, was yeah, already. I think I, and I, I attribute it to Alan. I'm sure every, you know, whenever there's something successful, they say that success has many mothers. Everybody claims this, the top of the park. I, I attribute it to Alan. Okay. It was a really wonderful place during, uh, you know, those moments when the concert was, was stopped, go outside to have your beverage and then come back inside. But he saw things like the elevator shaft as a wonderful movie screen and saw the opportunity to paint it white and, uh, it was really, I think it was Alan who saw the vision of Top of the Park. And of course, you know, for for those of us that have been around, we know that like the name Top of the Park was because it was on top of a parking structure, the parking structure right next to the power center, which isn't very high, actually, because it's mostly no. underground, but it's like, you know, a couple stories up, right? Um, only now for, for, you know, is it is top of the park kind of referring to a park, you know, yeah. a green park scape that Absolutely. is, you know, you know, in front of Rackham, but uh, really that's like a nice little, it's a neat little uh, play on words that, mo that many people probably don't realize that the park no was idea. actually a parking structure. I will correct you on one point, which was the lunacy of a garage that looked like it was just two stories up from the Fletcher Street side was a seven foot drop on the other side. And that's oh, of course wow. where, we, where we placed the beer garden. So there are people sitting on the parapet with their beer and there's a seven foot drop behind them. Oh my gosh. Uh, not exactly the brightest uh, yeah. idea we came up with. So yeah, it, it, it was deceptive at how tall that garage was. 
But yeah, so I was there for uh, seven years in total. I ran it for three, made some lifelong friends who, who worked with me on staff there. And then my uh, opportunity came, an ex-husband and I got a chance to live in Malaysia. He did a sabbatical and I lived in Asia for 15 months, which was really just out of this world. That's awesome back, experience, yeah. Came back, completely changed. I mean, when you've actually, and I had the great opportunity of working. It wasn't just a vacation for 15 months. I got a chance to work there alongside Malaysians. So I had a chance to really experience the country a little bit deeper than if I was just, you know, a, a, an expat wife. Um, but I came back and I was fortunate enough to find a job as the first executive director of the State Street Area Association. Many people may not know, but we have four merchant groups in the downtown and this was one. Right. So I was very glad to get that job. It was uh, an opportunity to learn things. And that's really what draws me to my jobs. This what was the I, uh, what was the landscape on at State Street? What like what what businesses that we know now were around then when you were that first year of the State Street area? So very important for us to realize that that town gown connection has always been there. So of mm-hmm. course the Michigan Theater, but we also had a rich uh, um, menu of retail shops. So the Van Bovens, the Van Boven mm-hmm. Men's Store, and the shoes Bivouac was there. Yeah. Uh, Necto was there, but a lot of changes. And so for yeah. people who may not remember it, that was a place that was rich in music. Back before we had music in a cloud, we had music in stores and it had one of the best music stores on the planet, School Kids Records. Okay, uh, yeah. Which unfortunately technology uh, put the death blow to. We also had, I mean, uh, you know, some of the stores that were there sold things like suits. You know, we had Jacobson's, um, you know, um, department store. You could still get like serious clothes, but this was before casual Fridays led to casual every day in Mm -hmm. Ann Arbor. Mm -hmm. Um, We had lots of bank presence there now yeah. it's atm machines you really don't understand the importance of what a banker used to be they were very much kind of like kind of the grown-ups there in the neighborhood so yeah so the neighborhood was rich it was one of those places where i could come every saturday do my daily shopping i could get everything i needed downtown it's hard for people to imagine that that was the pleasure of the week was actually stopping in a gold bond cleaners and the bond girls uh, yeah. all the, you take care of you and then you know you go around the corner and you know you get some baked goods or you you know just there was just always things that you could do in the neighborhood uh, yeah. state street was rich in the diversity and you know town gown but also religious i think there's four churches in the neighborhood that that's has right. not changed and that's yeah. really important what um so so you know you talk about the town gown intersection at state street yeah. but you know you know i would say now it's expanded right it's gone yeah. it's gone uh west you know yes. it is now uh, the intersection of town and gown maybe isn't, there is no, I mean, it's all kind of, you know, all intermingled now. So that's a good segue into the DDA. So like at yeah. what point then did you, how long were you at State Street and then moved into the DDA? So speaking of the town gown and the expansion, one of the projects that I'm proud of was with those four associations, I reached out because, you know, nonprofit arts, you don't, nobody does anything by themselves. It's all partnerships and reached out saying, we've got to do a better job working together. And we created a walking map, which is still in use by the DDA today. And it was so noteworthy. The newspaper put a front page story together, like the four merchants groups are talking together. Um, But the map was emblematic of creating a sense of downtown that you don't fall off the face of the earth when you hit Division Street or when you cross the Diag. 
And that put me on the, the notice of the DDA. They had lost their previous director. Unfortunately, he died very suddenly. And I was uh, an applicant to and very lucky to get the job as the next DDA director. And my quest when I came was to bring that sense of community that it's all those partnerships. It really isn't any of one of us, it's all of us. And listening really helped a lot in all of my previous jobs. And I thought if I could bring that to DDA where I'm listening, I'll be smarter, we'll all be smarter. And we'll be able to make sure that this is a DDA that represents the Ann Arbor DNA. And I'm proud to say in my time at the DDA, I do think our DNA represented Ann Arbor. Uh, we're the only DDA that I'm aware of that has for 20 something years given affordable housing grants because equity and diversity has always been important. Uh, we're the only DDA I'm aware of where we run the parking system, but we translated some of the parking revenues into free bus passes and bike parking. And we really understood multimodal before there were words for it. Uh, we had a sustainability uh, uh, focus. I'm the only, I, I, as far as I know, we were the only DDA during my time that gave very generously energy efficiency grants as much to help our business community lower their cost of operation as well as to meet our sustainability goals. Yeah. So I think our DNA as a DDA, we take for granted, but the goal was to make it an Ann Arbor DDA. We were going to, we were going to encourage redevelopment, but in an Ann Arbor centric way, not, we didn't want to be Birmingham. We didn't want to be, you know, any other community. We didn't want to be Kalamazoo. We wanted to be Ann Arbor. And a lot of my credit goes to the board for bringing that sensitivity of what is Ann Arbor to what we did. So, okay. So, you know, we could have three more episodes on yeah. stories the of the DDA. Yeah. yeah. We, we, you know, potentially, you know, brainstorm session for next episode. But um, I do know that you are a wealth of knowledge and great and super interesting stories about Ann Arbor. So I, I was wondering if you could pick one out in your, in your extensive time. Uh, I got one for you. Okay. All right. I, want to have I, one I came here. prepared. I came prepared. So early in my DDA experience, brand new, somebody came to us and said, I'd like to paint murals in the alley next to the Michigan theater. And the goal of this project was to beautify it. And as with so many things, DDA, I, I, we found our way to yes. That The answer is always yes, and let's figure out how to do it. So she painted an incredible uh, array of murals on that whole alley. She could only work at night because she had a, a condition where she couldn't be out in sunlight. And it took her all summer and it was absolutely beautiful. And the murals were a celebration of kind of a series of rooms and you know how she envisioned like this perfect world. Well, of course it started getting tagged and then it got tagged and then it got more tagged and then one wall became the gum wall. And before you know it, uh, Graffiti Alley kind of took shape because at this point now, everything that's gotten tagged is now getting tagged. It's getting re-tagged and tagged and tagged, tagged, which leads to my recommendation. If you're ever near Graffiti Alley and stopping yeah. to get your wedding photo taken, yeah. before you go all the way in, stop at the entrance and look up. And what you will see is the remaining mural from that whole series of rooms that she created. There is a ceiling to that alley as you enter. And oh, it's wow. the first of the murals that again, that un, you know, untouched because Graffitius didn't see it, at least as of this minute. Wow. Um, this is the thing is like, there's a still a remnant. It's kind of like archeologists. Awesome. It's the so original mural before what, uh, Graffiti Alley. What year was that? That you, that, that was- That would have been 97, maybe 96, somewhere in there. 
Oh, wow. So Graffiti Alley hasn't been around since the 70s. It's like, no. it, it, it feels like it's this like uh, time honored yeah. Ann Arbor tradition or something like that. It, no. And, you know, like all good things we copied. I mean, the gumwad wall is from Seattle. I mean, it's not like we came up with these great ideas. What I think that we do well, maybe is DDA, I'll put another one out there, is we don't get in the middle of things. So instead of saying, oh, woe is me, they're graffitiing the walls, you step back and let the community do what it wants to do. It it doesn't harm anybody. It, in fact, gives people a chance to kind of bring the community together. And so as it got more and more and more tagged, it, it kind of took shape of its own, but it really has only been in existence 25 years, maybe, you know, in wow. our community, but it's a treasure. It's an that is, that's, that's cool. So, so, taken. Yeah. so everyone, the next time we're walking down uh, Liberty, you know, take a, take a step into the alley, peek up and see the original mural. Yeah. You see origination. You know, the last of, remnant. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. last remnant. Oh, that's great. I okay. Love it. So, so before we sign off, um, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm asking all, all my guests, um, you know, this is an education piece for, for all of us in Ann Arbor, right? You know, we think we know, we think we've lived here a long time, or maybe we, maybe we've lived here uh, less than a year. Um, and, uh, you know, so I want to know what's your hidden gem spot. Like what's a spot that is off the beaten path or that you don't think a lot of people know about, uh, it doesn't have ads in the observer or yeah. uh, articles written about it all the time, but is it truly a, a place that you want more people to know about? Or maybe you don't. So, you know, luckily- I know, I, I absolutely do. And it's, uh, the theme is Secret Garden. Okay. I have two of them, uh, Town and Gown. The Town Secret Garden is our downtown library has this wonderful space as you as you are on the first floor again back you know after covid go in and there is a secret garden that almost nobody goes to there's beautiful oh. trees there's a sense of the outside right there there's a a, a, a beauty to it it's in, it's encased there's a wall around it that secret garden is one of the secret treasures there's so many treasures mm. with our downtown library that one is one of them and then the, the gown secret garden is yeah. the Michigan League. Go through, again, ground floor, and it's in the middle. Go through the, the back doors into the secret garden that is in the back area of the Michigan League. And oh, these are absolutely jewels amid all the hubbub of, of campus and the hubbub of downtown. These secret gardens are a delight every single time. Birds are chirping and the trees are blooming. And yeah. it's just lovely every single time and nobody knows about them they are truly secret gardens that's the goals are great that's awesome that you know i always default to food but it's but that's a really a nice one that's a great one right there so okay cool well that is a great spot to end on susan thank you so much for joining us uh as we mentioned you know might not be your last time on the podcast because you have so many great uh tidbits so you keep thinking about them and uh and we'll get together again but thank you so much for joining us Uh, Thank you. Enjoy. Enjoy Ann Arbor, everybody. Thanks for including me.